Hey everyone, this is Vanessa, the Badger side of the Bull and the Badger podcast, and uh, I just want to let y'all know that we're going to sound like we recorded this upcoming podcast in an airport hangar far, far away, but in reality we were on another planet, and thus the sound might be a little iffy on this one. Um, We did record it from Pluto, which is no longer a planet, so just bear with us on this one. Thanks. Masterful. Hi, and welcome back to The Bull and the Badger. Uh, I'm Vanessa, the Badger. And I'm April, the Bull. And this is our fourth episode of the podcast. We're super excited. We always like to start off talking about what the podcast is. And um, we like to talk about mental health, um, Asian American issues, and when those two things intersect. Um, The podcast came out of Vanessa's documentary called The Laundromat. At the laundromat? What's it called, Vanessa? It's called it's called the laundromat, and it's it's basically an answer to um, you know uh, the the old idiom you know don't air your dirty laundry. So you know how do we work against that, or how do we live in that kind of dynamic if that's how you've grown up? So and 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 what's interesting about this podcast is what we want to talk about specifically is um, therapy. And, and I think that's especially relevant to, you know, what the podcast is, or excuse me, my documentary is about, just because, you know, the whole, the whole idea of it was, you know, why aren't we talking about things as a community? Like, what's going on there? So, you know, like, having a full, <clears throat> a full movie about just sitting down and talking with people, the, 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 movie itself became a therapeutic experience for many of the people involved which was great i mean like i've personally never gone to therapy and it it was an interesting experience of sitting down with people and discussing some of their deepest darkest and then going to their families and discussing their deepest darkest and like being witness to what some of those things were so i don't i would never say that i was a therapist i would i always tell myself I was a witness to those things. But it's I think it's going to lead hopefully to some really productive discussions about what is therapy and you know do we need it and uh hopefully through the even through this podcast you know talking about like different types of therapy and why go to therapy. So that that's my thing. And today we have a special guest. Her name is Kristen. I don't know how to say your name, your last name. Do you want to say it for you? Yes, please. Vanderroost. Kristen Vanderroost. Welcome. Good afternoon. <laughs> Kristen, um, just to let you all know, Vanessa has just met Kristen today for the very first time. It's it's been excellent so far. I excellent. Think we're soulmates. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to find out once we learn what each other's uh, Myers Briggs is. Oh, that's so. right. So Kristen and I met um, during our grad program. And we started at the same time and we ended it at the same time. And we are like war buddies. And it was just it was just love at first sight, you guys. She just her anxiety just perfectly mirrored my anxiety. You can laugh if you want. I can see you trying not to laugh. <laughs> the fear in her eyes just matched the fear in my eyes. What kind of fear had, was this? 
you know, writing papers. Getting through the program. (laughs) Like, um, I remember having intense, intense anxiety about writing, like, a final paper for a class. And when I would kind of air that sort of anxiety with other students, they're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. But when I would talk to, when I would talk to Kristen, she's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know. I just... I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I, I really don't know. <laughs> I remember we'd talk a long time on Gmail. We, yes. We would chat. We'd we chat would chat for a long time. We would G-chat and share our our uh, stress. And Deepest, darkest about papers? Yeah. Wait, wait. <laughs> okay. So what were, what are your approaches to papers? If I might kind of do a quick tangent. Because, like, what was it about papers? Like, it sounds like... I, I know that you're, like, a more methodical person, April. But... Kristen, like I'm really papers. not at all. She's not. <laughs> oh my gosh! All these myths are being blown. Wait, okay, okay. I'm good at, at giving the impression of being a methodical person, but when it comes down to it, I'm just like any other English major, and I wait to the last minute. And um, I can't, I can't work, I can't give myself deadlines and try to meet them because the work isn't as good. I have to wait until I'm very, very stressed out and I really like want to crawl into a ball and not do anything and then write. And then, and then nine times out of 10, it works out. <laughs> that's really comforting actually, since that's my method. But uh, Kristen, what's your method? What's your, how do you attack papers? My method is to start a month in advance. <laughs> <laughs> so she is methodical. She, Kristen is much more methodical. And just get through each paragraph like week by week. Because I don't, I get, I get writer's block. Like I don't know how to keep going. So I need to stop every now and then. But, Hmm. but here's the thing. My, I think my weakness has been that my, my papers are too obscure. They're too abstract because I am an abstract thinker. And when you're an English major, you have to be concrete and you have to have concrete thoughts, which I don't, (laughs) I don't have concrete thoughts. Can you give me an example? I like like were you guys were you guys taking like similar classes like English comparative like um, there literature? are two classes we took together our very first class and one of our last classes the first one was like introduction to literary criticism and the last one we took was ethnic literature so tell us a little bit about yourself like your ethnic background and things like that my name is Kristen I'm a Leo <laughs> um, my my parents are divorced my mother's Mexican American. My father is Dutch Indonesian. He was born, his whole family, they were born in Indonesia, and then they got kicked out. So then they moved to Holland, and then they came here to America in 1960, I think. 1959 or 60. That's awesome. Yeah. I had to ask Kristen, like, because I really don't know anything about Dutch Indonesians or Dutch people or Indonesians separately. So together, it's even more confusing. Yeah, and there's actually a big community out out in L.A. or here. Where? I have no idea, but there used to be a really famous uh, restaurant called Susie's Kitchen, and that was the happening place for all the Dutch Indonesians to go. So I remember I used to go there with my dad. What does Dutch Indonesian food taste like? I need it's, to know. It's similar, well, because you know Indonesia's underneath the Philippines, and it's kind of you know the food is like uh, Thai food, Filipino food, um, like Burmese and stuff like that. Yeah, like yeah. There's uh, like, I don't know if you know what gado gado sauce is. It's like peanut sauce. I think that's a familiar thing. No? Oh my gosh. What about I, lumpia? Oh, yes. Lumpia, yeah. yes. We have lumpia. And do, you, do you use banana sauce? The You know what I'm talking about, right? Banana sauce? Well, you're I familiar with lumpia, head, right? Sorry. But you are familiar with lumpia? Yes. Okay. What about you? Lum- like banana ketchup? Yeah. Oh. 
okay. We have okay. we actually have um, what's called ketchup, and it's like soy sauce and it's sweet, but it's not ketchup. Like when my dad came here, he said that he used to ask for ketchup when he was a kid, and everyone would give him the red ketchup, and he would say that's not ketchup, but ketchup <laughs> is an Indonesian sauce. Oh. But it's sweet sauce, and it's not like ketchup; it's ketchup. 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 We should figure this out. This this let's sidebar this because now I need to like. Find out what gado gado sauce is. Oh, you would love it. Because I, I know you. <laughs> I know you, man. You'd love it. Yeah, you can read in my eyes, like just excitement <laughs> at gado gado. Um, and in ketchup? Ketchup. Ketchup. What is, like, I had to ask Kristen, like, I don't even, like, what does your dad look like? Does he look Indonesian? Does he look Dutch? Does he look like both? He looks like both to me. My dad is a very handsome man. I think so. <laughs> She's like, and I have his jeans. You're a very handsome woman. <laughs> you're you're like you're trying to like one up each other. Like, who can make one another more embarrassed on this podcast? Are you a hand sweater? Like, no, like, I'm not. It's not true. Kristen is super attractive. Thanks, April. She's tall. I think she has a charming She's... smile. Yes, it's it's charming. It's the smile. It's like a little side smile. Did I make you embarrassed? Yet? No. <laughs> my dad. I have. Everyone says I have my dad smile. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, at this point, like, if this were like a video podcast, we would show pictures like side by side. But for another You'll time, you just have to use, use your imagination. Yeah. To well, my dad picture. has green eyes. I didn't get his green eyes, what? and he has like tan skin because he's okay. got the Indonesian. So let's also move into okay. So Dutch Indonesian. Yes. Which we're still wrapping our head around, which hopefully will come back. But like, let's also talk about Myers Briggs because I think I know what you are, but let's talk about it. Well, let's let's. You know, inform our listeners, Myers Briggs. If you did not listen to the very first episode, is we'll a get on that first. Test. Sorry, um, sorry. What I wanted to say was make sure you listen to that first one. It's a personality test, and it's one that Vanessa is extremely interested in. She kind of does the mental calculations when she first mm-hmm. meets somebody to try to figure out who they are. I think it's sort of a weird power play, but uh, it's actually really interesting. And um, they can be both. Weird power plays and interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting slash comma weird power play. Um, and she's very, very, very knowledgeable. And I am about a 50th as knowledgeable as she is. But I like to hear her talk about it. So we're going to do a little experiment here where um, both Kristen and Vanessa will guess each other's personality type. Wait, can you can you be the, the impartial judge? I think we have to whisper it into your ear what we are and then say out loud. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Are you do you need to ask each other questions or are you set to I guess based on like our conversations like before the podcast and during, I think I got it. I could be wrong, but why not? Let's just go for it. I think part of what what the ambiguity might be for our maybe the cultural differences and personality differences, but um do you, do you know what my uh, Myers-Briggs Kiersey is? No, but we'll do this. I'll ask... A piece of paper. Okay. I'll start. ask... But here's the thing. I only know the first letter and the last one. Do you need more time? No, because I wouldn't know where to get my, my information. I only know... I only remember oh. the first letter and the last one. Do you want to tell me... Do you want me to give you the options for the middle two? Yeah, can you? Okay, so... The first one is obviously extroverted and introverted, so that's right. one that you know. The second one is, um, it's N, which is what? Intuitive. Is that what it is? 
intuitive or sensory and intuitive is more abstract sensory is more concrete think of sensory as being more about you know like using your five senses and then intuitive being kind of like internal process and the third one is either t or f and that's thinking or feeling so there's three there are four altogether and the last one is um what is it? Isn't it J? J and P. What's oh? So per, perce- perceiving, perceptive, and perceptive and judging. Judging. Okay. Yeah, uh, perceiving and. Uh, so for example, uh, I'll just give you mine, which okay. you probably already right. know is INFJ. Can you write these? Can you write these options down, and mm-hmm. I'll just like get okay. them. So that means that I am intuitive. No, I'm introverted, intuitive, feeling, and judging. And that name of that particular combination is called a counselor okay so i've now written on a piece of paper uh the two options for each for the four dimensions and then um for on kristen's paper it's written what is kristen and then for what is vanessa and then i'm gonna do something opposite for me that's that's for you thank you Vanessa. very scientific oh man i've never seen vanessa so excited i'm like I'm feeling really focused right now. <laughs> I think it's the coffee. Okay, so hurry up, hurry. Oh, I just realized I don't have a pen. Like a dummy. Do you want to use mine? Yeah. Okay. And you continue to think about it. Okay. okay. So let's talk more about. Let's just chit chat while okay. Vanessa's doing oh my God, stuff. This is so exciting. <laughs> you're, you're like you're like not excited, but now you're like forced into this thing. Yeah, I'm convinced really I don't cool. have an excitement gene. Actually, you really don't get excited very often. I don't. No. What does that mean? Maybe you should talk a little bit more about me so she has a better chance of guessing. Because now, no, I already know. Now I have all this information. Oh, she says really? she already yeah. knows. Hurry up, Vanessa. Oh man. Okay. How you doing, girl? So why don't you think that I have an excitement gene? Because How would you explain that? You're very. Um, you are not. You don't get excited, but you just have this this constant level of intensity. That's I was the... just gonna say that. I was gonna say I I attribute it to the in, my intensity level. Right. It's because I'm always living up so high. Right. That it takes a lot for me to get excited. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, we know each it's a very lonely life. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> Discussion World War Two in the trenches. Discuss. <laughs> okay. I was just thinking that I was driving here. I was like thinking my. Not intensity, but my emotional level is always at like 95%. And it doesn't take a lot for me to start crying. Like, I'll just <laughs> cry. Why am just... I laughing? <laughs> See? See, we laugh at each other's pain. And that's no, I don't. I want to hold you in my arms <laughs> and be nurturing. <laughs> yeah, it helps that we're both very intense and very nurturing people. I like to explain, when I think about Kristen, I think about Kristen as my id. And you do everything that I would do if I didn't have any restraint. Really? Yes. You act on your impulses. I do. Yeah. And, and I, I don't do have not. a filter, which I'm trying very hard <laughs> to keep inside. Okay. So what is my... Um, is Kristen supposed to be doing something right yeah. now? Yeah. So, uh, so at this point, Kristen is now writing down her answers for what she thinks I am and what she is. Uh, so... And we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but since Kristen's, since Kristen's busy, uh, can you talk more about like 
your your battle stories of when you guys were in class together? Man, we don't have many battle stories. We just have a lot of giggling, and uh, which is good. Kind of kept you guys sane. To get super cheesy, I don't even know how I get super cheesy. Yes, please. How much I love her and how important she is to me in my life. And I'm so happy that I found her. <laughs> I think it was meant to be. I think it was too. You're you're the only friend that I kept in touch with. Yeah. From me school. Too. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So who wants well we'll give the first guest to Kristen because she is our guest. Guest. Uh what do you think Vanessa is? Do you want to go letter by letter? What do I think Vanessa is? Yeah. What I wrote down? Yeah, you can just say it because it's not as fun to okay. look at it. I think she is a um, E N E N F P. You are exactly right. Boom. Do you feel bad? Do you feel like you're just so easily figured out? I think I am like easily figured out. I think like, oh, I'm such a mysterious person, but really, really, it's like it's like written right there on my sleeve. What so. is ENFP? I forget. Um, it's the Champion Idealist. Uh, they love to take causes and root for them. Um, I think one of the best summations I think for the ENFP was saying that we're like puppies because mm-hmm. we're like always. Uh, overflowing with enthusiasm for different things. We get excited and we want to just help people all the time. So we're puppies. Okay. Right. So Kristen has a point. I actually have a good uh, radar for people. She does. She's very, she's very uh, perceptive of people. Don't give. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I already have. You can't change. Like I've got the guesses. No, that my answer for me, that's what I Right. That, that, those were the results that I remember getting. I, I feel like I probably got this wrong. Well, what, what is it? Well, I said INFP. And here's here's my reasoning. Okay. Uh, she, she seems more straightforward, but she also, because you guys were able to connect. What's INFP and, called? The INFP is called the healer. Okay. Um, and uh, here's the thing. You're, you have strong J tendencies, but I think like organizational ability is trainable whereas impulse and communication styles are less trainable those are more instinctual for me which is why i think you're an nf and the p comes from you being more impulsive but that could just be a personality thing where but are you actually are you yeah i do 100 percent right (laughs) (laughs) vanessa is holding your arms up in. I told I like, you we were- if the if the microphone were to express <laughs> what I feel right now, it would be exploding with triumph. But I'm not, you know, I'm like I gotta respect the equipment. You know? Well, what were you thinking? Were you, you you were just gonna change your mind though. What were you gonna say? Well, I thought maybe you might be an INFJ, but the oh, okay. her saying the impulsive thing that made me think more of an INFP. Well, and so that means that you guys are exactly the same, except that Vanessa is extroverted and Kristen is introverted. I, I think there's like some very subtle differences. Um, specifically, the INFP is is said to be the most compassionate of the type. So you're like, oh, I'm trying to be nurturing. You're not. You just, you don't try. It's just part of who you are. Like, like 
April will always just want to help people and help people talk through things and like express, be more expressive. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think healers, like when things are out of sync and like not in harmony, you feel that it doesn't even have to be your life or, you know, like something directly, directly related to you. But if your relationships are out of whack, then you feel it very deeply. You know, actually my dad's an INFP, Mm -hmm. but there's, there's things that, um, yeah, that are that are slightly different. Like our our and I say our as in the ENFPs like we champion, we like turn our feelings outward and are always about sharing. Like if you you know, like me and food, right? Like if I find something I like, I'm out there like telling people about it. Like if I actually yelped, I'd be like elite at this point. But you know, like <laughs> like I think healers are more about like the one on one relationships and kind of really uh, uh, deeply developing those, but healer, healers, healers are uh, good people to have around in your life. So Krista and I are only different in that I'm judging and she's perceiving, mm-hmm. so which has to do with the way that you structure your lives. Mm-hmm. So, so she's more structured and I'm less structured. No, no it's way. Completely you're opposite. more structured than me. Really? Even mm-hmm. if we didn't have that test, I would tell you you're more structured than I am. <laughs> really? Yeah, definitely. Huh, interesting. You're so much more healthier than me, April. <laughs> well, it, it, it's about the way that you even like you want you want deadlines. You want you want times. The fact that you show up on time to things, April, always freaks me out. It makes me a better person. <laughs> but um, but I think mm, s- somehow the way you were raised, or maybe it's something in your like anxiety to please that you you were here at three fifteen. Like, you just, you weren't sure. So I come early, but Kristen, I mean, I come on time, but Kristen comes early. Well, technically, I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of like a control thing. I need to be here to control my environment before my environment can control me. Yeah. Which which oh. gave me the introvert vibe. Yeah. Definitely an introvert. Well, congratulations, everybody. Congratulations. Congratulations. We should probably just end right now, because I, mean, I feel like, so good. That plus plus. That's crazy. You guys both guessed your exact right types. Like, I feel like I've just seen, like, a unicorn fly by in the sky. It's like, Ghost unicorns. Ghost, Ghost unicorns. unicorns. <laughs> they exist, April. Don't you tell me otherwise. <laughs> yes, they do. All right. Well, we've got... I don't know. Can we go on, or did we just do... No, no, no. I, I mean, like, uh, we're, we're, we're continuing um, to talk about Kristen, who is the expert on Kristen, um, or, can, or at least uh, trying to obtained status as expert on herself and um tell us a little bit about your own experiences with therapy if you Which don't mind is the topic of this podcast yeah sorry good, for back the to very that. rough transition yes. <laughs> my experience uh well it started when i was about 11 years old uh, my my dad and my stepmom decided that it would be a good idea i go uh because i was a very i guess um energetic little girl not not energetic, uh, like physically energetic, but just like with my mind. Are you gonna laugh, April? I'm waiting for her to laugh. <laughs> I'm well, like I'm like you... sitting here, like, oh my gosh, tell me more, tell me more. And then I see, I'm because I'm only watching Chris now. I'm not watching April, but April seems April to be like. April loves laughing at my past. And now um, this is the n- n- normal <coughs> dynamic in your relationship, if, the, well, if, I'm, if that's correct. No, because as you were talking about how you're an energetic little girl, I'm picturing the picture of you 
posing in your Taekwondo outfit. Oh my god. I thought, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. I was like, oh my god, did I show her that picture? Not only did you show it to me, it is the contact picture for you in my phone. Oh man. And I'm going to show Vanessa. That's love right there. That's love. Wait, okay, so energetic in the mind. Yeah. While, she's, while she's bringing up this amazing picture. Yeah, I had a lot of mind energy. And it wasn't, um, sorry. It wasn't, it wasn't in a healthy manner. It was always negative, I guess you could say. I was kind of (laughs) troubled. And, um, so they decided to bring me there, um, mostly because, uh, my mom wasn't, uh, I only saw my mom like every other weekend. And so that was another factor, you know, but I don't think it had anything to do with that. I think it was just more just me being so damn sensitive to everything and not knowing how to develop that, you know, as a little girl. How did that sensitivity, like, manifest? Like, how would it affect your actual life, like, as an example? How did it affect my life today? No, like, just back then. Like, what did you do as a little child? Oh, my, I tell you I don't have a filter now, but, man, I got myself into so much trouble just every time I opened my mouth. I would talk and... A lot of a lot of the time, a lot of people, you know, they don't want to hear what I had to say. So no one wanted to be around me, and then I was lonely, and then it was just difficult. It was like kind of a cycle that was continuing. Because, yeah, because you were sensitive and you didn't have a filter, so no filter when things come right. in, and then no filter when things go out. Right, and I would always ask why, you know, when things were done, you know, my my older brother Daniel would just do it, you know, what he was told, and I would question it, and that wasn't wasn't very welcome you know so it was lonely yeah yeah were i mean like i all the friends that i talked to in the documentary is a picture before i get into the real 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 deal that's that's kind of amazing (laughs) did you want to see it to refresh your memory i do i kind of do it's you with an orange belt i should just we can you describe it (laughs) yes please describe it do not delete it. I'll be so mad at you. Well, I had braces. <laughs> Which ups the cool, like, This 20%. was actually my favorite belt, because I remember when I when I tested for my yellow belt, which is the next belt up, I did my form, and uh, my the master of our studio told me to do it again in front of everyone. That's yeah. a lot of pressure. It, yeah, but he liked it so much, he wanted me to do it again, so that was my favorite belt. April, shut up. <laughs> It's actually, I still remember my forms. If this goes on the website, we will be putting this picture up because it's You better not that put it up. Listeners won't know what the picture we're talking about. But anyway. She likes six There's no guarantees just yet, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, I think it embodies the intensity and, um, you know, your approach to Taekwondo. Very yeah, well. I think it was a great idea for my dad to put me in that. Oh, yeah. kind of like that activity. Yeah, and discipline. That helps you focus. And, you know, disciplining your mind energy. That really helped out a lot. I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have more or less than therapy. Um, more. Um, I have to say more. Yeah, know? I mean, because I you, loved it and um, I was good at it. And you know, you're good at every, anything you love, so it really helped. Did you not enjoy therapy? Oh, I enjoy. I love therapy. <laughs> not bad, because <laughs> all of the attention is on Kristen. Well, it is, but it's also a a, a space for me to. Um, I guess unleash all those thoughts and feelings I have that I always thought that weren't going to be accepted. Oh, and, and so it's like, their job to accept you, right? Uh, exactly. <laughs> no, that's mean. I actually had I've had I've had good therapists. I would say, well, not all of them, but I'd say there's maybe three 
that I could say, oh, I'll always remember them. That's great. Yeah. So, like, um, was that, did that become your normal, like, just having, like, going through therapy while you're growing up? Well, I want to tell you that the first therapist I had when I was 11, or I don't know if I was 11 or 12, but I did not like her at all. Um, because she started to talk about my mom, and then I started to be more aware that my mom wasn't, like, I wasn't living with my mom, and it made me sad. And being 12 years old, you know, it's just really heavy to accept this kind of loss at such an early age, I guess you could say. And uh, so she would she would play games. She would make me she would make me pretend that I was on a game show, or that I was on some kind of show, and my mom was a guest, and I had to pretend that I was myself and my mother. And I remember in the middle of the session, I just broke down and I cried because I didn't want to do it. And I told her I didn't want to do it, and she still kept making me do it. And I hated it. I hated it. Wow. Yeah. So. How would you wish that the experience had gone differently? Um, I wish that I would have been smart enough to know that my parents were doing this to, to get help um, because I was difficult. So I think she resorted to the game because I was so difficult talking to. Well, and, and you can't really expect a child that young to be easy to talk to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. They're so. kind of the ones with the power in the room, too, right? Yeah, and I felt that. I felt like I was stuck, and I felt like there was no way out, and I felt that she was kind of using her um, experience to her advantage over this little kid. Hmm. I didn't like it. Well, then, did you? Did was the next person a more positive experience? The next person, um, no. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, that person, she would always eat lunch in the middle of session, and I hated it. <laughs> oh. And so I left her, and I remember the last thing she said to me was when I was walking out the door, she said, you'll be back. What? And I turned around, and I said, no, I won't. <laughs> How old were <laughs> you? The door. I think it was like 16 or wow. 17. What? What is, what? Who are what? they hiring no. these days? It's true. What? Do you like? Do you like a touchy feely therapist, or do you like yeah. one who's very like straightforward? No, touchy feely. That's, that's where that's where I live, April. I know. Well, that's where I live too. But I I, I actually hate. like my straightforward <laughs> therapist. Yeah, she's not touchy feely at all. Yeah, I don't know. I I prefer touchy feely. The next therapist, though, my, if my family ever listened to this, they're just gonna roll their eyes. No one liked her because I was. I was completely and utterly just in love with this woman. Yeah. Like in love in love or like, I admire you in love. Both. Yeah. So. The line is thin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was actually a really good experience only because she helped me to come out, I think. And I don't think anyone ever realizes that. My family always tells me it was unhealthy. It was in a healthy relationship. But I think she helped me come out. And I really, really appreciate that in her. So, cool. Yeah. So that, it, she was more touchy feely too. Oh, definitely. Like when you, when you say touchy feely therapist, like what does that even mean? Like someone who's like, oh, how are you? How oh, are you doing? God, no, she wasn't like that. I thought you were talking about like they can delve into emotions on an intense level where I am. Oh, I I mean like having that kind of like oh demeanor. Yeah. Yeah, no, she wasn't touchy feely. Oh, okay. yeah. Sorry, we were not talking about the same things. That's yeah. what I was talking about. Because I, like, I have a 
a therapist who's very cut and dry. She's just like, no, yes, do this, do do it, do that. And at first I kind of was like, ugh, that's not the kind of talk I'm used to. But after a while, I was like, I actually kind of like it because I have a lot of friends who are very like, oh, that's too bad. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I feel really bad or whatever. Just really nice, I guess. People like me. (laughs) And um, I mean, I think that's great in friends. Yeah. And I think in a therapist, I really want like direction, Mm. you know, and like someone who's firm and isn't like. Like someone who tells you. What yeah. you're thinking and why? Or- yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fine line. Like, sometimes I feel like she does kind of make assumptions about how I'm feeling. But mm-hmm. I always find value in what she tells me. Um, and maybe other people say the same thing. But the fact that she is my therapist, mm-hmm. you know, and she is an expert. Um, I trust her. Even though we don't have that, like, friendship trust base. Yeah, I think uh, this therapist... Um- she helped me not only come out, but she was also there. She also gave me that nurturing that mm-hmm. I needed, that I desperately needed. Um, like I told her one story one time when I was in preschool. I went to school and we were on the playground and I was by myself. And I was standing next to a teacher. And I asked the teacher to lift me up so I can touch the cloud. Because there was a cloud. There were, there were clouds in the sky. And I was convinced that I could touch this cloud. And I kept pulling on her skirt and saying please lift me up. I want to touch the cloud. I can reach it. Just lift me up and I can reach it. And she wouldn't lift me up. And I remember I told that story to my therapist, this one woman that I was, that I'm telling you about. And she said, you know, if I was her, I would lift you up so you could touch the cloud. And that really was important for me to hear after, I don't know how many years. So, yeah. How did you even get to that place of even telling that story? I mean, like that's, that's like deep, deep in it, right? Like when you don't even know, that there's those things in your life that, like, yeah. you're looking to hear. I, I'm kind of curious of how, how you even get to those places with people. Of telling people stuff like that? Uh, or helping guide people to those places, you know? And, I mean, I don't know exactly what you're asking, but I think for both Kristen and I, that's how we operate. Yeah. Like, we need that kind of deep connection or else there's no point to talking to somebody. Yeah. Um, it just comes very natural and it's not hard yeah, it's not. Like, yeah, I there's plenty of other stories that would probably make you cry. <laughs> well, I, no, I feel kidding. like, I mean, just from, like, I'm almost sitting in on, like, your guys' is like, getting an inside peek at what how you how you guys interact and i feel like there is a lot of laughter and there is a lot of like tears like shared which is kind of like what's important in any like very good friendship right so um wow i mean like i'm also getting like a really good insight into like how therapy can go and like how how different experiences are i can tell you what's important well what i think is important in therapy and that's obviously you know they have to be able to trust the patient has to be able to trust feel like this environment is where they can unravel themselves right if if the therapist doesn't make that available or easily accessible for them the patient will not open up and that's that's the main purpose while they're why they are there is to open up because Either they feel that they can't outside in their own life, or they have a hard time doing it themselves. So I think that's key. And also chemistry. Chemistry is extremely important. If you don't feel, there has to be a chemistry with this person. Finding a therapist is like finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Yeah. And that's why there's so many cases. I think it's called transcendence, or I forget what it is, but that's when you fall in love with your therapist, like I did. 
Oh. Yeah, it's when you, I guess, you you project what you've been wanting onto this yeah. therapist. Chris oh. falls in love a lot. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Romantic. Let's see how many times I've been in love. One, two. I mean, maybe not three. being in love, but like a sort of infatuation. No, I don't like infatuation because that's temporary. Like, this is going to last forever. Okay. <laughs> That was that one therapist. Well, the feelings I had for her, of course, it's an appreciation that goes on and on and on. Okay. And I, I always feel like, you know, appreciation is so much better than saying I love you, I think. When you say I appreciate you. Because it's long lasting. I'm thinking about that. Yeah, it's long lasting. I think there's so much more weight in appreciation. Because everyone throws love around like nothing these days. So. Yeah. It's like overvalued and undervalued yeah. at the same time. Those, yeah. Those kinds of... Like, if you really appreciate someone, you can see them. When you love someone, it's kind of like saying, hey, I'm observing you, and I like it, and I love you. But when you appreciate someone, and you tell them that, you can, you're telling them, I see you, and I, and I appreciate what I see. Yeah, like, that one um, self-help website that you directed me to one time, I get, like, the daily affirmations every morning. I find them very helpful. Oh, the universe? That one? No, the, the Karen Salmonson you sent me like a link to an article one time. Oh, right, right. And um, one of the daily affirmations was like, instead of saying, I love you, say, I get you. Yeah. Ooh. And mm. I would have to say like, I was in a relationship at that time with someone who I felt didn't get me. And it was really painful because yeah. that really is like so important. It it's is. probably the most important it's, thing. It is. It's very important. I yeah, I guess like what people are like actually looking for like in the path towards love is actual intimacy and understanding right like intimacy and then acceptance right of just you know like core being you know mm-hmm. like i get it and i still want to be a part of that right and only i get it i mean i think it's great if like you get it and you get each other like that's wonderful but it's almost like to be part a part of the same tribe like, to sort of recognize each other, like, already immediately and not really need... That's how I feel about you, April. I know. That's how I feel about you. Like, we don't we don't really know each other. We haven't known each other that long. But almost immediately, I was like, all right, I have known Kristen. Or I know Kristen. Yeah. I don't really know Can her. I tell you a story? Yes, please. I remember, um, I think our first night out, we went out and we had a discussion. This was, like, a long time ago. This was when we were in grad school still. And we went out and we talked, and I think it's when we went over your house. So oh, yeah. I went to your house to have dinner. Right. Yeah. Was that our first time hanging out? Yes. I, I think, think it was. So. Mm-hmm. Right. But then I remember talking to you that night, and it was just, I, I think I was thinking to myself at that time, I was like, wow, April and I have more in common than I thought. And she can actually dive pretty deep in thought and feeling. And I really appreciated that. And I remember I went home, and I couldn't sleep for the longest time because oh, I kept thinking so about sweet. you, and I kept thinking... <laughs> This of this connection that I just made, yeah. and it, you know me, it's like once I'm in something, it's 150, right. <laughs> right? and it's not 98, percent it's 150. So I couldn't sleep. I remember, oh, and that's amazing. Yeah, and I remember I woke up in the morning, and you're the first thing I thought of too. Like I made this connection. It yeah. was it was something that I think had was wait. I was I asked for you. I think. You know, and it doesn't happen that often, and so when it does, it's like really special. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 
No, I when I wait. <laughs> sorry, I totally interrupted that moment. Okay, we're just gonna do some radio silence so we can all like soak that in. No, but I I I get what you guys are talking about. Like when you find that like another person that you connect with on that level, it's like I get excited. I'm like, when's the next time I'm gonna talk to that person? Yeah, right. And it's just a friendship. You're just like, wait, I need to know more about this person. Yeah. You need to know more about me, and then yeah. you just like want that to continue. So that's that's really amazing that yeah. you guys were able to like connect on that level um i do want to i do want to like ask uh two questions um sorry to roughly transition again but i'm curious um when you were talking about therapy and how it it was your father and and your your stepmom that were like oh we think that Kristen should go to therapy my experience with uh asian americans and therapy is that they don't they're not necessarily into that idea like they think it's either a waste of time and money or it's like shameful like what do you think enabled your dad to kind of like say well maybe Kristen needs to see a therapist have you ever talked to him about it oh yeah yeah um it's it's uh because I didn't listen I never listened I always I always marched to my own beat no matter what and I think that was difficult for my dad because he grew up in a household that was very traditional. And I think he was raised, uh, well, he's Dutch Indonesian, so, but he was raised more of the European way um, and, and kind of the Asian way, I guess you could say. Um, his mother was very quiet, kept to herself, a little on the submissive side. Um, and that's what he knew. So he didn't uh, think that uh, a woman could speak up the way I did. And at such an early age you know, asking why, talking back, doing my own thing. My dad wasn't even used to that. And, you know, I, uh, I just had a lot of, uh, issues at such an early age, you know, and I think, I think it's great that my dad put me in therapy. I think it was a good decision on his part and also to get me into Taekwondo. So he always used to tell me, he always used to sit me down, April, you would have joined too and you know it. Yes. No, my dad always- No, she was too freaked out, I'm sure. <laughs> My dad always used to tell me, um, you have, you have a lot of energy, but right now it's, it's, uh, it's negative and you need to use your energy for good. He used to say, your, your brother Daniel doesn't have that energy. Not a lot of people I know have that energy. So you need to, you need to funnel it through positive, you know, you know, positive, um, uh, I guess realms in your life that you can use to your advantage. And so I think if I didn't hear that, I don't. I I think I'd be a different person. Like my dad, he never gave up on me, and he always told me, you know, what was going on. And I think that's why I'm so intense because my dad is an extremely intense man. Like him, we could talk for hours on anything. Well, he does seem really direct. Like yeah. I think that for most people, but I mean, I can't say necessarily speak speaking to April's experience, but at least from my experience, like we. Like, when we heard direct things, it was, like, always an intense experience. But most most of our communication was indirect, you know? Like, you knew something was wrong when some kind of indirect communication happened. And you knew it was really wrong when direct communication happened. Like, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Like, oh, no, that was really bad. You know, versus the feeling of shame that you get when something, like, indirectly happens, right? So... Um, that's great that you could have those conversations even. Um, and it, and it started with your dad too. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that he was like, I need to be direct and honest. 
you know, with you. Because, like, there was a study put out that, like, actually Asian parents think it's it's totally fine to lie to their children. And that's just, like, wow. a mode of parenting, you know, so that you can mold them in a specific way. Of course, obviously, the intention is to make them a better person. But, you know, like, uh, yeah, honesty, like... It's, it's funny, I uh, remember being at this diversity summit in middle school, like, eighth grade. <laughs> Did you do that? That sounds familiar. It was cool. I liked it a lot. Like, it was, like, a lot. Of... <laughs> Are you okay? I was going to I was gonna laugh, but I told myself not to, but then I choked in my water. <laughs> She's imagining you in Taekwondo outfit, that's why. <laughs> and, and diversity summit. So it's a lot of different schools go to this one place. I forgot what the place was. It might have been, like, a community college or even, like, a like a very large church or something like that that had like a large campus like a conference space right and you know you go through different classes and learn about diversity and blah blah, blah. and um at one of the very last exercises we were in a gym and we all had to stand in lines facing the front of the gym and then the the person who was speaking would ask a question and he would say if you agree or if the answer is yes step forward and if you disagree then either step back or stay where you are. I forgot what it was. But I remember one of them, and I, in eighth grade, I was very bubbly, very talkative, like, you know, like, talk to everybody, and just my, you know, anything that came into my head, I said out loud, and it was very different from how I am now. Um, and the question that he came to was, do your parents, or do you trust your parents? And I think I didn't move. And I was, I'm, I'm not thinking about too much. I'm just doing whatever came naturally to me. And do your parents trust you? And I didn't move. And then I broke down in tears and I almost like collapsed to the ground. I was crying so hard. Mm -hmm. My teachers had to like escort me out of the gym oh, no. until I calmed down. And I would have to say it wasn't until maybe three years ago or so, like around there, that I understood why that bothered me so much. Um, and I think it, I brought that story up because it, it, what Vanessa said about trust and sort of like lying to your kids and things like that. Like, you know, um, you know, parents do a lot of damage that they don't mean to do. What they mean to do yeah. is to raise you and give you opportunities and to give you the best future that they can. And a lot of times there's a lot of byproduct. Um, and I think a lot of byproduct for me was not, was making me feel like I couldn't be trusted. Like my mind couldn't be trusted. I couldn't make the right decisions. I'd always screw up if they didn't tell me exactly what to do. Hmm. And it kind of makes you feel bad about yourself and like, why don't they see me as who I am? And I'm not, I'm not a horrible person or a horrible child. I was only like 12 years old or 13 at the time. Um, but like, it's so funny. It's just this very, this incident that was so intense, but I'd never understood it until, I don't know, you know, more than 10 years later. Was it through therapy or was it just in, in like thinking about these topics? Just thinking about these topics. Yeah. Actually, you know, when, when, when I first started going to therapy again, I do it very sporadically. Um, but it was sort of like the intake interview. And the guy was just asking me a lot of questions. And one of his questions is like, are you decisive or are you indecisive? And I said, I'm very indecisive. It takes me a really long time to make decisions. 
And he was like, yeah, that happens a lot with very overbearing parents. Wow. And then like, I think I think it was then that it clicked with me that it was like, oh, oh, yeah, because I am never trusted to make my own decisions. And oh. so. And so I can't make my own decisions. Like I can't, I, I really like have to talk to like 50 people before I buy an iPod or something like that. <laughs> like, like, are you sure this is the right thing? <laughs> Is there, are there any other options? Like, hey, literally just tell me to do that thing and then I'll have the permission to do it. Yeah. Wow. There's probably a lot of things that factor into it. I, I, I think of it as information collecting. But yeah, I'm indecisive <laughs> too. Um, and it, I, I think it's because like, I attribute it to being a middle child or something like that. I'm a middle, well, yeah, I'm a middle child. I, I can't decide on anything. I You know what I was told actually? Um, I was taking a one of my psych courses. It was research methods, and uh, I kept bombing all the tests because they were all Scantron. No. And finally, the professor, you know, he told me to meet him in his office, and I did. And he said, "I want to sit down and talk to you about your Scantrons, your scores." And I said, "I'm sorry, I don't get it. I study. I just I don't do well in Scantrons." And he said, "No, it's because you're a universal thinker. You can you can find truth." in every answer A through E and convince someone of that. You're a universal thinker. You have an oh, open yeah. mind. You can't you can't just pick one. Oh. Yeah. I still failed. I <laughs> oh, no. no, actually I did better. I did better from there on because he knew and he actually had me take tests over. Oh, you wow. know, but I hate scantrons, which is why I'm an English major, because you don't it's you know, you don't have to Right. It's not a time based Yeah puzzle. I hate Scantron. <laughs> well see that's the difference between a P and a J. Like the J is all about like, okay, we have to lock into this circle, right? Yeah. And then, you know, like more cognitive, you know, think out loud on paper kind of essay test yeah. might do better with P's because they're like, Well let's go through the options here, you know? Yeah. Uh, ready to rock and roll. Um, I think we left off just talking a little bit about therapy, and then we're going to continue that conversation with Kristen. So, so you mentioned Kristen um, off mic that there was another reason why your parents decided, okay, well, let's let's put her to therapy. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it was because I was uh, obsessed with death. How did that manifest itself? Were you like, I collect dead birds in a box? Like, what, do you, what does it that mean? It was Vanessa. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Wait, no. age, what age is like still like 11 or whatever. Actually, my first experience started when I was um, about six years old, getting off the bus, going to the daycare uh, at Cinnamon Tree. I was... Uh, Plug for Cinnamon Tree Daycare. <laughs> yeah. Which also sounds like the most amazing... To all my Cinnamon Tree peeps out there. <laughs> No, it was a, so after school, a bus would pick us up, my brother and I, and uh, we would go to Cinnamon Tree to wait for my dad to pick us up. Anyway, so one day, uh, everyone was getting off the bus. And you know the leather, like the le- the brown leather seats mm-hmm. on the buses? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I was walking in the line off the bus with the kids, and I remember I had my arms stretched out, and I was feeling the leather seats. Mm-hmm. I remember that feeling. Mm-hmm. And I stopped, and everyone stopped behind me. And I remember feeling... Like, one day, 
I'm going to end. And I just grasped this whole, and it felt like this whole thing, this like this energy came over me. And I was accepting the fact that, that I was going to die one day. And it was so powerful. And I was six. And you told your parents and they were like... <laughs> and I was disturbed. <laughs> no, I just remember that. I never told anyone. I just remember doing, feeling that and thinking that, of grasping death at that age. But when I, was, uh, when I went to therapy, it was because I thought my... I was scared my dad was going to die and that every morning I'd wake up and I would want him to be alive. Um, but that was also kind of an attachment thing. I had the attach major attachment disorder when I was a kid. Anything else, God? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there is. Basically, you told us something else off mic. But yeah, yeah I mean, like, t- talk to me about going through therapy. I'm guessing, like, it's not necessarily like let's let's scare the the fear of death out of her. Like what 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 was it that process to like help you come to terms with it or help you ease your anxiety about people dying? What 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 purpose did therapy serve in that kind of situation? Um, to I think therapy served uh, me as far as uh, knowing that things are are not. So I guess finite, is that the right word? Or things are not, um, things don't end. Because I was fixated on this end of things ending. And that had to do with my wanting to connect and my wanting for things to last on a consistent level. I I didn't feel I had that. And so that's why I was so obsessed with endings and death. Because do you think, because your mom? Yeah, I think a lot has to do with not, um, living with my mom. Um, that's and a pretty big end, you know. It's huge. Yeah. yeah, for that. But um, but also because my dad was is a very, um, not very, but he's melancholy. He's a melancholy man. And I think I because I'm sensitive, I picked up on that. And so it made me extremely aware of things and um, aware that things do end. But I think I went a little overboard and started to obsess about it. And I think that therapy was trying to make me see that it doesn't end, things don't end, you know? So I don't have to, you know, cling to things because, because what, what's important is what lives on in, your, in yourself, I guess you could say. Like appreciation, for instance. Appreciation, yes. And I think one of, the, one of the people who helped me to see appreciation and to really feel it was my professor. Um, he really opened my eyes up to poetry, you know, uh, other kinds of literature and uh, something that was very, you know, abstract for me to, to hold on to. And um, so, yeah, that really helped. I, th- I think if I didn't meet him, I think I'd maybe I'd be a little darker than I am today. So. What, can I ask about what kind of poetry? What kind of poetry? Yeah. Uh, all kinds. But I, I really, really enjoyed uh, the romantics. You know, Byron, um, Shelley, uh, Wordsworth. You know, all of those those writers, they they saved me from my some from some really dark nights. I think so. Was it is it the idea of hope? It's the idea of finding another kind of consciousness, like within like nature, mm-hmm. um, things that things that you can't see but are there. Um, uh, I, I really connected with that a lot because I would always drive. I I was never home. I, like from age nineteen, I'd say nineteen to twenty three, I was never home. I lived with my dad, but I was never home because I was practically living in my car. 
I drove everywhere. And I finally found this place up in the canyon um, where all the lights were green and there were no cars. And I would just drive up there. And then on a full moon night, I would just, man, I practically camped out there. So I really connected with that nature aspect. And it's very, it's very healing. It's very uh, cathartic um, to do that for me at that time. Yeah, I actually Is that kind of weird? No, <laughs> I actually find the act of driving very cathartic. I do too. Just because it's like you can't do anything else. Or you're not really supposed to be doing anything else. And it's like I can listen to stories. Or when I was uh, in undergrad at UCSD, I would use that time to like play really intense music and just for two hours straight just like think about things. Yeah. And it wasn't like necessarily like bad negative like energy kind of thinking it was really like working things out in my head about yeah. like how I felt about life how I felt about myself how I felt about my relationships and things like that so it was always a good time mm-hmm. and I think that actually I've lost that a little bit being in LA because you're not you're you have to navigate you have to pay attention you're not like on the 5 3 a.m on the road by yourself you know yeah. listening to music you're like trying not to you know hit bikes or you know yeah. like you know being responsible on the road so um but yeah i think everybody has to find that space for themselves yeah definitely i actually had my first really major uh, anxiety attack while driving up in the canyon it was one of these nights i was up in the canyon but i was extremely emotional and i was crying and screaming and pounding on my steering wheel listening to to music and finally uh my heart started racing and i couldn't breathe and i started panicking and so I pulled over, and mind you, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. No one is out, and I'm in the middle of nowhere. Where, you know, So I remember I got out of my car, and I was just uh, just hyperventilating. And I remember a car passed me, and I tried to flag her down. I think it was a woman, and she kept going. And I had never felt so lonely. I remember thinking, I'm going to die, you know, because I'm panicking, and my heart's going to just overbeat. And then um, I started to cry. And then I heard some rustling or something in some bushes, and it was this couple and they came out of nowhere. They weren't even on a trail. And they came out of nowhere. And I, I ran over to them. And I remember I was just crying. And the woman just embraced me. And 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 her husband said, it's okay. My wife's a nurse. And it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And she's holding me. And she's trying to talk to me. And we finally sit down and talk. And she asked me what was wrong. And I just told her that I was just a mess. And everything's so complicated. And I don't feel like I fit anywhere. And she said, you know, Kristen, and I said, and nothing's consistent in my life. Everything dies, you know. And she said, you know, Kristen, the only thing permanent in this life is the moon and the sun. And I think if I didn't hear that, I think it was just planned out for me to, to hear that. I think if she said it any other way, I wouldn't get it. But I got it. As soon as she said that, the only thing permanent in this life is the moon and the sun. And after that, I felt fine. And, uh... Right when I left, I got back in my car. Her husband came up to me and said, or no, she said to me when I hugged her, she said, you know, my husband and I never take walks. It's two o'clock in the morning. We never take walks this early. We always take walks like at, uh, you know, in the morning, six, seven o'clock. But for some reason, we decided to go at this hour. She said, I would think it was meant to be for us to meet. And I do too. I'm still convinced. But that was a really powerful experience too. Yeah, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't either. I don't either. I think that was a coincidence. So, yeah, just yeah. an amazing event. That's mm-hmm. great. It's very cool. <laughs> Wait, are we are we trying to? Are you gonna, 
Are you hand sweating? I feel like I feel like we're on Saturday Night Live. You know that scare where they they sweaty balls. <laughs> I should not have clapped like that. <laughs> my my clapping broke the podcast. So uh, yeah, you know how they like. Think you know when you listen back, you can't hear it, so you just talk through it. Oh yeah, you know on the acknowledge it happened. April, you know how on the skit, you know they act like, um, like they try to feel or they try to act excited, but they're not excited, <laughs> and they go, "That's great, good times." <laughs> yes, I can I can taste the the salty nuts. <laughs> It's it's one of the best. Oh, that, um, it's totally the awesome. Yeah. Ones. Oh. It was Alec Baldwin. I remember. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Sorry, I was I only heard half of that story because I was looking at the picture of you. Whatever. <laughs> You're still looking at my Taekwondo picture? No, I was looking at the other the picture that I had just taken of you. Oh, is yeah. it bad? In the no, moment. No. In the moment. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So, um, is there anything else we wanted to bring up? There's the obsession with death. Oh, and your I don't know any like smooth way to transition into it, but your whole um, diagnosis. Oh, and how you deal with that? Yeah, I was in therapy. I was diagnosed bipolar two, <clears throat> and um, how many are there? <laughs> <laughs> the way this... that you lean in and say that. How many are there? <laughs> what do they taste like? Are you trying to seduce me? <laughs> okay. No, there's actually uh, there's there's two right now. Um, the DS, I believe, it's the DSM five. It's on six now, but it was five. Um, there's bipolar one and bipolar two, and from my from according to my research, bipolar one are people who can't function in society. They need oh, to be okay. on lithium in and out of, you know, hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but their moods are like, Ooh, up, up, down, up, right. down, up, down. Um, but bipolar two are people who can function in society. Uh-huh. Um, they're more on the, uh, the depressed side, I guess you could say the, the lows mm-hmm. than they are the highs. But when they have the highs, it's like an explosion. Yeah. Super productive, right? Super productive. I'm telling you, I, I think that's why I had so much mind energy when I was a kid. I think it was that. Well, that's considered, my therapist told me that's considered ADHD because there's no such thing as a kid having bipolar. They're ADHD. That's what it is. That's what she told me. Oh. Right. Hmm. And it's so not, that's know. essentially bipolarism is, is the highest, the extreme mood swings. Is that what that is? Yeah, well, there's a lot to bipolar, but yeah, it's mostly centered on um, just, uh, I guess, moods. Uh, you know, most people live on like this level, like a, like a wavelength, and it's consistent and it's flowing. But, you know, people with bipolar either live up, live up above it or below it. They're, they're never, unless they're on medication, then you're on in the middle. Right. But, yeah. Sometimes I wonder because we're, we get each other so well and we get along with If you're other. bipolar yes. too. <laughs> Do you wonder that? About you? Yeah. No, because you're more rational than I am. Okay. I, I that's right, because you you act impulsively. I totally act impulsively. And I don't. Yeah, act. I'm being very good right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. And uh, but the good thing is bipolar 2 is that and I think with bipolar 1 too is that there's a really um high sense of creativity. Um because you know you're you're always thinking outside outside the box kind of thing. Yeah, they've they've diagnosed or they think that a lot of you know the very brilliant artists of the day like were probably bipolar and 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 how did 
how did when were you diagnosed first of all and then how did that change your perspective and how, how you operated in your day-to-day I was diagnosed uh, bipolar 2, I'd say about four years ago. I'm 33 now. That's when we first met. Yeah, I guess so, huh? I started, huh? Yeah. But I was always, uh, my therapist therapist, uh, in my 20s would always tell me, you know, they would always suggest that kind of thing. So, and to get on medication, but I don't agree with medication um, because it just kind of numbs me and... I like to write poetry, you know, for myself. So I, for some, I can't write when I'm on medication. I can't write poetry. <laughs> and I actually, one of my, uh, uh, my a psychiatrist that I met, she said that she used to be a psychiatrist for uh, artists, actors, and actresses in Hollywood in the '60s. Mm-hmm. And she said that a lot of them would come to her for medication when they weren't producing any art. Oh. They wanted and they wanted to get off it when it was time to produce art right. or for a living. It was their career, right? Like writers, um, uh, yeah, actors and actresses, right? Um, so that I found that interesting, how medication affects you that way, right? I could just like literally shut something off, you know. And a lot of art is produced from immense amount of emotion, you know. So it's interesting. I know a lot of people um, really are. I wouldn't say against, but like you said, don't agree with medication. You know, a lot of people want to go to therapy, but don't want to be put on medication. Yeah. I'm not on medication right now. I was. I got off it because, again, I just didn't cry, didn't do anything. Um, But I I got through the day. It eased a lot of anxiety and a lot of my depression or my melancholy. I don't like the word depression. Sometimes when I feel like when I'm in my super low lows and... Mm -hmm. I get to the point where I'm like, I need medication. Cause have I you ever been on medication? I have, briefly, oh, have? Okay. like in college. What um, was it? Zoloft. Oh, Zoloft? I was on it too. Yeah. Zoloft. But on Celexa. That was my last one, Celexa. Yeah. Um, when, I'm, when I get to the point in my life where I'm like, I can't exist like this anymore. Like, I need medication. Usually, there's something in my life that I need to fix. And then once I fix that... Um, then I don't really feel like I need medication anymore. Yeah, there's um, there's an actual antidote for well, what's her name uh, on Superman? Lois Lane, uh-huh. her real name in real life, the first one. Oh, uh, oh, Marco Kidder. Yeah, she's bipolar. Right. And she, I think she wrote about it, and she said that um, she didn't agree with medication either. Uh-huh. But there were key, you know, there were key, uh, I guess, methods uh, for bipolar, and that was eating healthy. Um, because a lot of like crappy foods, you know, mess with your brain, chem- your chemicals, uh-huh. right? Working out mm-hmm. and doing something creative right. to release that yeah. that energy. Mm-hmm. So that's what I try to do. I know my wife would be like, no, you don't. If she were here. <laughs> you eat healthy. Yeah. I-, I think that you live a very mindful life. Like you yeah. eat healthy, you exercise, you're always going on walks with the dogs and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. And it's... I think I made a conscious decision, I think it was in grad school, that I want to try and be uh, better mm-hmm. as, as far as my emotions go. And I think I'm, st- I'm trying to stick to that because it's so, un- it's so easy for me to unravel and to fall in this, this deep melancholy state. And I don't think anyone could, could live that way constantly, but I can. I mean, I can, but I mean, I wouldn't be productive in anything, but I could live there. Right. I think, and it's so. I, I want to kind of. I guess you say. I guess you could say. I wanted. I wanted to be. Um, try to be normal. 
because I didn't, I've growing up, I, I still don't feel like I'm normal, but, and what is normal? But I kind of wanted to have all the things that I know I, I could, I could have, you know, like a wife, a family, a good job, you know, cause I, all the jobs that I had, I always would, I would quit them cause I would get really bored. I've had like 75 jobs, you guys. <laughs> I have a story. Oh my gosh. I have, a, I have a rumor story that you might want to tell if you can frame it as a story. It's, it's when you and your old best friend would like make up a whole life together and then, <laughs> can you tell that one? Oh, uh, with our dog? Yeah. <laughs> I need to know now. No, we would just, because we were kind of, the, we're the same people and, you know, we were always, we weren't very happy a lot of the time. So, but we were, we were content with each other. So I remember we would sit and um, get into character and pretend that we were different people with like, like my name is Stacy and I live in Huntington Beach and I have a two bedroom <laughs> apartment and a dog named Marmalade. <laughs> and he would say, and I'm your friend, Jack. I live down the street. And I work, I work at, um, I don't know, some building down the street, H&R Block. We were married in your family. We were married uh-huh. um, in one life uh-huh. time. Okay. And we did have a dog named Marmalade. And I remember we were talking... <laughs> We were talking so long about Marmalade that we actually started crying because we were convinced that she passed away. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's all kinds we like, of amazing. Hey, remember when Marmalade used to do that? You remember when Marmalade used to do this? <laughs> this was like a month ago? No, no. This was like, oh, man. This was like, I'd say 10 years ago. Yeah, when I was 23, maybe. Good times, man. <laughs> oh, Trevor, his name, his name is Trevor, and we were just so creative. We could literally sit and talk about one subject over and over. You know, we'd, we were the kind of people who'd put songs on repeat, you know, all day long and never get sick of it and sit down and talk. Yeah. And we would, you know, drive places and try to see if we can climb a roof somewhere and be on the roof. Roofs were a big thing. I don't know why, but we always wanted to climb on some roof. Oh, I've got a book that you have to read. Really? I don't have a book, but I will tell you a book that you can borrow from the library. Oh, okay. And yeah. we used to sit like um, in the canyon where I used to drive. There's this place where you can sit. It's called it's called Skyline Drive. And you sit up there and it looks over Orange County. And we used to sit there together on the back of my truck. I had a truck and a skateboard. And I was in the closet. <laughs> Wait, what? There was a lot of words all at once. You were wearing a vest, too. What? Were you wearing a vest also? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I just, I would date, I would, this is off the subject, but I would date guys, but I had this truck, a skateboard, and a gay best friend. (laughs) Yeah, there's the uh, formula for you, for all you lesbians out there. (laughs) In case you were wondering. In case you were wondering if you're a lesbian. I have a truck, I don't have a skateboard. All you need is a skateboard. I don't have one. But anyway, yeah, Trevor was, was friend, yeah. Trevor was a great friend. He um he still occasionally sends me art pieces <laughs> of like pictures Aww. of us together and Aww. he makes it like into an art piece. But he stopped sending them to me because he's sending another art piece to one of our other mutual friends and I called that mutual friend up and I said, "Hey, are you getting art pieces from Trevor?" And he said, "Yeah, I I love them." And I say, "Well, I don't." And then I I think I posted <laughs> on Facebook like, "I'd rather get a phone call, Trevor." <laughs> Call that. <laughs> I said, I'd rather talk to you than get this art piece. And then... Call that out, yeah. They stopped coming. Aww. So I don't think he's going to send me another art piece. 
Maybe oh. you need to initiate the art pieces. Maybe. Poetry. Poetry and send it over. Yeah, maybe I can send him a poetry piece. About marmalade. About marmalade. Yeah. <laughs> and how marmalade used to like lick your fingers after yeah. you were eating she, your peanut butter jelly sandwich. She was a golden retriever and we used to tie a yellow ribbon around her. The like the head or the neck? The or? neck, yeah. Oh wow. She is such a good dog. <laughs> I don't I don't own Do you want a dog? Headed, want headed marmalade pass? Oh, she went to go hide, actually. Because um, Trevor and I, you know, we were a married couple. Uh-huh. And we couldn't find her for like two days. And we kept looking for her and we found her in the backyard and she hid behind the shed. And um, she didn't want us to see her pass. So we found her. That's, that's I totally just made that up. Just now. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you for making me care. <laughs> okay, so we're winding down that wonderful fake story um i have a couple of questions we like to end the episodes with questions um given to us by some of our friends and I have two questions actually um let's do the first one because um a bit more relative to what we're talking about and this question comes from my friend colleen she's is she my, the lesbian yes she is <laughs> Does she she's have my, a truck? She's my Colleen, and a skateboard. Sup? Sup, so Colleen? <laughs> How are you doing? We do usually do a okay. what are three. Amazing I'm kidding. Things. I married Colleen. And I'm very much in love. She's yeah, very much in love wife. too. She and her girlfriend are moving to Colorado. Oh, that's um, where all the pretty lesbians are. Really? Yeah, Colorado. What? I thought this was LA. Yeah, a lot of femmes are in like West Hollywood, but there's a lot of pretty natural lesbians in Colorado with oh, horses like and ranches. Is it okay to say granola types? No. Oh. <laughs> She's moving to Colorado. She's moving. Like, they're moving to Colorado, and I'm very sad. Although I never really see her because she lives like in a really far away place. Uh-huh. But um, we usually say three amazing things about the person who submitted the question. So just so you guys know. Um, Colleen and I used to sit on the opposite sides of the same partition at work and make each other laugh until I was shaking in my chair silently <laughs> laughing. I love her so much. Um, every summer I like to get like a very large henna tattoo on my chest because I'm not like a real tattoo person. I got a tattoo. With a henna tattoo. I got a tattoo. Sorry. <laughs> and so I, I, I messaged her and I said, hey, I got a henna tattoo on my chest. And she was like, on your chest? Girl, are you from Bakersfield? <laughs> <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? It's just to mean it's trashy. Oh. Are people from Baker- Bakersfield trashy? I don't know. That's what she was implying. You need to oh. make a trek. You need to make a trek. And okay. another amazing thing about Colleen is we would go on breaks at like 1030 in the morning after we've been at work for two hours. I know there are more amazing things, but I just can't mention them because they're a bit private. So now is Colleen spelled two L's or one? Two L's. Okay. Are you gonna are you gonna write a nice email? No, I just like to spell things in my head. <laughs> that totally makes sense. Don't actually. you do that when people talk to you? Don't you spell yeah. all the words in your head? You know like what they I just do? come. No, I type it with my fingers, and then I I, I repeat it over and over and over again. Like that word fingers. "repeat" just now, yeah, it yeah. appeared in my head. Yeah, like and I now like I'm to see. It over and over again. I like to you see. You guys words. are just like literary. You see, like <laughs> since you guys are like writers, you like have to see the word. Like, but I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but poets live underneath the words. Oh. <laughs> of course, April's them as blankets. I do. I believe. Oh man, I Let's have a get lot to of the question. Okay, sorry. Oh, I just. I this? think that poets live First underneath the words. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of really good poets out there, April. 
And you would say the same thing, like, wow, this this woman lives underneath the words. I know. Well, why not? Why not in between? The question <laughs> is. Go on. Is therapy expensive? How about you, Christine? If you don't have insurance, hell yeah. But the therapist that I was in love with, I didn't have insurance. Yeah. I saw her for free. <laughs> yeah. I'm convinced that she loved me too, guys. Did you did you wink at her? Like what? No, I'm convinced she loved me too. That's why she let it be for free. Yeah. All right. Another way to answer this question. She would totally <laughs> lose her license right now if I told you her name. Yes, definitely. I'm not gonna yeah, say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um was I gonna say you can find a lot of low cost therapy out there because there are a lot of students who are quite who are getting their field hours. And so you can Google that and try to find somebody especially connected to maybe a, a university. Like a school of psychology at university and you can call that number and maybe get like you know lower cost um therapy sessions but they are quite expensive if you are not going through your insurance and you go through your insurance my copay is like 20 dollars um and of course you know depending on how often you go but um if you go to someone in a private practice you're you're going to at least about a hundred dollars per session and that's an hour yep so I could never do that. Or I could, but there are other things I need to pay for in my life. Mm-hmm. And so going through my insurance, $20 a session, perfect. What tattoo do you have? I just got a tattoo because I was going through a, a pre-midlife crisis. Uh-huh. And um, there's only two people in my life who stood by me. And even though we're, all, even though we're divorced and separated, my parents are my rocks. Uh-huh. I love my father I love my mother. So I decided to get uh, my dad's signature uh-huh. and my mom's signature. Can I see? And there's a... I'm not done. Oh. And there's a swallow. Oh. Uh, because, you know, swallows are known for... They always go back to their home. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I got that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Show it to us later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The second question, because I feel dumb leading this whole thing. Um, the second question comes from um, our mutual friend... Vanessa and my mutual friend Nini, who I think we've mentioned in the past episode, um, and she's saying, you know, as an Asian American, what's your attitude about risk? And we don't have to, yeah. Risk. So what? Are, huh? What do you mean risk? Like, are you a risk taker? Are you not a risk taker? <laughs> okay. Why are you looking at me like that? I. Uh, I, I know. I'm trying to connect it too. I, uh, risk. Well. How do you I'll feel start. about stranger danger? <laughs> stranger danger. Well, let's um, talk about Nini. Yeah, you you do the whole three things. Okay, three amazing things about Nini. Uh, Nini is one of the funniest people I know, and is has always been willing to laugh about herself, and 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 laugh with us about herself. But like, I just my image of her is when she does this face like that angry chipmunk like surprise face but then we always call that her hurricane nostril vortex nostril picture because she just she has she has large nostrils they're very nice is that one thing or two things (laughs) oh one thing it's it's the whole it's it's a anecdote about the one thing that she's able to laugh about herself uh the second thing is that we've been friends since elementary school like not a lot of people could say that and i think you know we've been able to grow up together which is you know amazing you like you're such different people in that time not just because you're children but you, you just have different 
like lives inner lives and things like that and and then you're developing who you are but if you can stay friends for that long there's something to be said about that so Mm -hmm. that's the second thing and i think the third thing is that she has just had a child um she uh uh jonah is his name and we're excited to welcome him into the world and uh, we can't wait to be a part of their family. And I think that even the saga of, uh, you know, Thomas and Nini's, you know, um, journey to have a child is amazing. And hopefully maybe one day we'll be even able to talk about it on the podcast. Um, but I think that, yeah, those are my three things. I want to go back cool. to Colleen because I feel like I gave her short shrift. And I forgot the most awesome thing about her, which is her, her chocolate face or chocolate. Whoa, chocolate, you messed that up, did chocolate you? Chocolate cake face. And uh, one day at work, someone put a chocolate cake on the table for everyone to share. I immediately walked over to Colleen's cubicle where she was facing away from me at her computer monitor. And I whispered, there's chocolate cake over there. And she, and this is visual, I can't help it. She was like, keep in mind colleen is like i'm sorry colleen i don't know exactly how old you are but we'll say 35 to 40 you're in that range somewhere you told her like 32 like a five-year-old so excited about chocolate cake and that's another reason i love her is because she's She's like a child and i feel like a child with her anyways back to you are you gonna cry no oh you're gonna cry she's been Ready to cry like almost this whole I time. Know. I think since you, the moment you entered the door, she was like, "I was just so happy." I think I just have this dark streak. My <laughs> she cries whenever she's around me. Um. Okay, so back to Nini's question. You what have to answer that attitudes? question because maybe you understand. Okay, it. what are your attitudes about risk? Um, yeah, how do you answer that? You know, are, can you make big decisions? Can I make what big decisions? Can uh, I make big decisions? Well, yeah, yeah anyone can. I mean, do you or like, do you make big decisions or do you not? Like, for instance, here's an example. Would you move across country without a job at that destination? That's risky, right? Would I move to destination without a job? Yeah. It depends on, um, uh, it depends on if I hadn't, if I, if I didn't have anything to lose, like if I was, if I was at my lowest point uh-huh. and I didn't have any family mm-hmm. or friends or my wife left me. Hell yeah, I'd move to another place. But I, I think when it comes to big decisions, I always think of uh, my family, like my parents, my mom, mm-hmm. my dad, because I have a really good relationship with both of them. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I could leave them for a big decision. What about you, Vanessa? You you kind of you seem to be familiar with risk, sort of, in the sense that you took a, you know... Um, a typical job and career path? I think, okay, so this is my attitude towards risk. As long as I don't know really what I'm getting into, then I'm probably engaged in it. And I, and I tell this, <laughs> this story all the time, but if I had known what it would require of me to make that documentary, The Laundromat, I would not have done it. Like, I just would not have signed up for that trip. Um, and I think even when you sign up to do film, you don't really know what you're signing up for. So if you understood the actual risks involved or the actual costs involved with doing something, like, I probably wouldn't do it. So there, there's things where, like, there's calculated like calculated risk, too, where um, say you wanted to move and, and, like, make a career change. Like, 
I'm already taking risk, so to bring on more risk would probably <laughs> make me more risk adverse, right? Yeah. So I like, but if I was living, like, if I was living at home and like working a job that was like, you know, like nine to seven and like very, very calm and like there wasn't any risk in my life, I would go out and seek risk because I don't like living life so scheduled and so. Cut and dry. That's that's my attitude towards Like, this. to relate it to people who might be younger who are listening to this, like, you know, college is a huge topic for Asian Americans and stuff like that. You know, um, I think you and I both chose, and Kristen as well, both chose a risky field to go into because what does a, you know, there's no path. There's no, like... Uh, very clear career path for the liberal arts. I totally agree. I think maybe then risk has to do with um, if if you're going to approach it with your your brain or your heart. Because you're right, English, it's there's not very many uh, paths following that after you graduate. But I did it for my heart because mm-hmm. my heart just loves, I love, you know, literature right. yeah. and, and poetry and everything. Yeah, It, it brightens my life. I started out <laughs> as an economics double economics and English double major and three weeks into it I dropped economics I was I couldn't I just could why not. were you in economics this is something my parents would want me to do oh. yeah you it's know practical it's practical it would you know lead me to work at some like you know think about all those conversations we would have missed out on if you were in economics I mean I think I think following your heart is always a good bet yeah and you know just be smart about it but at the same time follow your heart because that's how you will ultimately be happy yeah i read somewhere that you'll never be where your heart isn't right and it's true hmm. can't fight it it's like your it, nature i think do like when you talk about risk like ask yourself am i moving forward or am i not you know like i'm always at you know like i think as an artist like you know, you, you think about like, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? And the worst thing to happen is not like people will hate your work, but the fact that you stop working. And I think you have to continually keep practicing creativity. But in general, like for people who aren't doing liberal arts or who aren't like engaging in like, um, say something that's more conventionally creative, I'd say that like, you have to take risks, especially since I've been talking to like a lot of people who are graduating college. And it's scary because there's risk inherent even in just getting out of college or graduating. And and until you take those risks, you can't um you can't move forward. And and you have to keep moving forward or keep moving laterally in order to, I, I don't know, in order to live your life. Like, and in fact, you should be ready for failure. Like you should, you should just be like, okay, well, this is probably going to fail, but I should do it anyway. You know, like what, whatever it is, just because like that, like fear paralyzes us too much. Yeah. I think that don't be afraid of failing. Follow your heart. There are no wrong decisions. There are detours that will give you more information about yourself and it will help you even better refine um, the knowledge of what you, what will make you happy because that's ultimately what it is. I mean, 
it's so it sounds so full of platitudes, but I think especially for Asian Americans who are giving who are there's so much pressure put on you to make a lot of money, have a successful career, blah blah blah. You know, there needs to be another voice telling you, you know, listen to yourself, listen to your heart, and if you don't do those things, you're not failing, but you're just trying to be true to yourself. All right, that sound good to everybody. Word. Shorty balls. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we'll end it. Perfection. <laughs>